Father, we surrender our lives, our hands, at our feet, our minds. God, whether we work with our hands, our mind, or whatever the path that we take in life, God, we surrender to you, God, to your leading, to your direction, to be led by your spirit, oh God. We surrender it all to you tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Come on, church, let's lift up a shout. And thank God, we bless you, Jesus. Amen. If you would, remain standing with me. Open up your Bibles to Romans chapter uh, 15 and ushers. I know I didn't mention this ahead of time, but if our ushers will grab those faith promises and make sure uh, that everyone has one, just real quickly, um, from the back pew, we are staying in missions vein. Um, and I served on staff as missions director, pastor, um, leader, whatever crazy person, um, whatever you want to call it for, for a number of years here at Evangel. Um, and, and, and part of that, we were privileged to be able to lead hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people all around the world um, to five of seven continents um, to, to preach the gospel of, of Jesus Christ. Um, I have a passion for missions, and I will never apologize for that. Um, I believe that as the American church, we become far too focused on just what's on our own turf, um, and we've forgotten God's great world, um, for God so loved the world, um, and we've forgotten about the world around us um, a lot of times, because we get so caught up in just the grind of, of life. Um, but if his word is true, uh, we must be compelled to go into the ends of the earth because that's what Jesus tells us to. Amen? That's what the Bible teaches us to. Um, I know what I read in, in giving just a moment ago, and this is just a little soapbox before we dive into it. We must do what we've decided in our heart, but we can't let the flesh decide that. Amen? We must let kingdom values direct what we decide in our heart and then operate out of that. Amen? That's gotta be our principle, that's gotta be our foundation, not the flesh for our foundation. And so I will never apologize for um, promoting and driving and saying, hey, we've got another step, we've got another level, we've got another, uh, we've got another continent to take, amen, um, for, for Jesus. And so, uh, Paul, I love this writing, Romans. Uh, Romans is his most systematic uh, theological book that he writes, or letter that he writes. In Romans chapter 15, the very end of it, he says, and thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, the unreached peoples, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see. And those who have never heard will understand. Sorry if I get a little emotional ahead of time. Um, this is a near and dear subject to my heart. Father, we pray that you will just uh, open our hearts, God, to your word. God, may we see with your eyes. May we sense with your heart, God, what you would have for our lives and how we can make your great name known in all this earth. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. You may be seated. Um, if you would pull up that picture of Hudson Taylor, 
Uh, on May 21st, 1832, Hudson Taylor was born in England. He was the grandson of James Taylor. James Taylor, uh, Hudson's grandfather, was one of the contemporaries of John Wesley and the Wesleyan revivals and all that took place. And so very close to that Wesleyan movement. And Hudson's grandfather, James, constantly prayed and declared over his family, as we should all uh, declare and proclaim over our families, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And his grandfather makes that proclamation at a time where his family and his house wasn't all serving the Lord. But he declared it, declared it, declared it. His father's born, then Hudson is eventually born, and since Hudson Taylor, four generations later, and even to this present day, the Taylors are still serving in China as missionaries. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Four generations after Hudson Taylor, six generations after the grandfather was adamant in declaring that over their home. Church, some things we need to prophesy, some things we need to declare, some things we just need to purpose and decide in our heart that our families are going to serve the Lord, that we're not gonna give the devil an inch and we are going to position and posture them and do everything we can for our posterity to serve the Lord for the future generations. Amen? Don't give up. Don't give up in well-doing. Don't give up on those children that might be wayward for this moment. But in due time, we will reap a harvest if we faint not. We will see them come to the Lord. That's what we believe. Hudson Taylor was the founder of China Inland Mission. He was one of the most radical missionaries of his day and honestly in, in history. He, he lived this life as if he was an alien to the present world that he lived in. He lived as an alien, like, I don't belong here. I know that this is not my home. I'm just passing through. And I believe that we can all use a good dose of that message today that this is not the end, amen? This is not the, the, the goal. This is not the finish line that we, we have on this earth in front of us, but we are built for eternity. C.S. Lewis said it the best, that if I focus on this life, I will miss out on eternity. But if I focus on eternity, I will get this life thrown into it. And our world and the up and coming generations needs that modeled out that we are dreaming for a mansion, right? We are dreaming for a place that we have not yet gone to. We are dreaming for heaven. That's where our aim, that's where our goal is, is set. And that's what Taylor, Hudson Taylor had in mind, that he was an alien to this present world, which drove him drove him like crazy to do the things that he did. Taylor was dedicated to reaching the unreached. In this process, he would experience the mountaintops of, of joy as only you can imagine, but also the deep valleys of, of sorrow. For instance, he would marry in his 20s, and his first wife would die at the age of 33 of cholera as they were on the mission field. Hudson would remarry and would go on to have 10 children, three of which were miscarried, four who died, at a young age while in China, and four who survived, who all became fellow missionaries with Hudson in the China Inland Mission. Pain and sorrow, surrender and dedication, joy and legacy, right? To go through the trials, but to stay faithful to the call because what else did he have? 
What else did he have? He possessed a vision of what God had in store for him. Taylor would endure the present life so that the unreached could have eternal life. I said, Taylor endured the present life. He endured the sorrows, he endured the valleys, he endured the hardships of the present life. Not living in modern day England and the luxuries that it could afford it, but living in inland China with all of the hardships that that afforded, he endured that life so that the unreached, those who had never heard, may have eternal life. One of the many biographies on Hudson Taylor's life before the founding of the China Inland Mission, it recounts of how Hudson, he falls to his knees on a Sunday morning on Brighton Beach in England and had a deep, heartfelt conversation with the Lord and he expressed how he was unable to bear the sight of a congregation of multiplied thousands of people, of more Christians, people rejoicing in their own security while billions around the world perish for a lack of knowledge could barely stand the sight. And there on that beach, Hudson surrendered his life to God for this service. He surrendered all earthly wants and all earthly needs and only the peace that heaven can afford, great peace flowed into his life. And on that beach, he asked God, Hudson asked God for 24 fellow workers that would go into China with him, two for the 11 inland provinces of China, which were without a missionary. 11 provinces in China, the largest nation in the world, which were without a missionary, which were without gospel influence, right? And two for Mongolia, which were also without missionaries. So as you can imagine, the unreached population that Hudson is asking for, and at the time of Hudson Taylor's death, Zero at the beginning, the China Inland Mission was born and had become an international body with 825 missionaries living in all 18 provinces of China. 825 missionaries because one man said yes. One man said yes, there was zero, and then there become 825 with more than 300 mission stations, more than 500 local Chinese helpers, and 25,000 Christian converts. In 1900, there were approximately 100,000 Christians in China, and today the best estimates is over 150 million, most of which trace their roots back to a man who said yes to God on Brighton Beach in England. Can one man make a difference? Yes. Hudson Taylor was a man who gave it all for Jesus. He used to teach. Hudson would say, a little thing is a little thing. But faithfulness in a little thing is a big thing. A little thing, a small thing, it's a small thing. But become faithful in that small thing, and that's big, right? That's huge. Become faithful in the small areas of life. Become faithful in the, the small areas of dedication. Become faithful in the small areas of consecration. And that becomes huge and great within the kingdom. Honestly, the kingdom work, it doesn't require great talent. It just requires dedicated lives. Kingdom work doesn't require great and mighty talents of people that are the most brilliant or the most elect or the most elite of society. It just requires people who are dedicated to the task and to the mission at hand. Why missions? Eternity. 
Heaven and hell are real. Heaven and hell are real, and when God created mankind, God created us in his image, intended to have eternal relationship with him. Every man, every woman that would come into being was predestined for heaven, but then the fall. We traded relationship with God for an image of God. 2 Peter 3.9 says this, that the Lord, he's not slow to fulfill his promises. Some count slowness, but he is patient towards you. Not wishing, not willing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But that all should reach repentance. But that all should reach repentance. Repentance, not just those in the U.S., not just those in Canada, not just those in Mexico, but that those in Myanmar should reach repentance. Those in Thailand should reach repentance. Those in India should reach repentance. Those in Afghanistan should reach repentance. Those in Bangladesh should reach repentance. Those in China, those in Nepal, those in Bhutan, those in Europe, those in South America, those in Africa, those in Australia, that all should reach repentance. Don't test my geography, y'all. I got you. God is not willing that any should perish. But many in our world have no clue, no clue who to repent to or what to repent of. And I've had those conversations. Been in Southeast Asia. We'd say, do you know Jesus? Jesus who? Jesus who? They have no idea who to repent to or what to repent of. And if those who know don't step up, the multiplied billions will spend eternity in hell. Hell, a place of utter torment, both physical and spiritual. Weeping, gnashing of teeth, pain, suffering. Pastor and missiologist David Platt said it like this. Every believer this side of heaven owes, owes the gospel to every lost person this side of hell. Every believer this side of heaven Owes. We are obligated. We are obliged. We are obligated to every lost person this side of hell. Not just in our own turf, but amongst the world. We have a high responsibility to take this gospel forth. And eternity is at stake. If you would pull up that map. The number that is at stake is 42.5% of our world's population. 42.5% of our world's population who are considered unreached with zero access to the gospel. Zero access in their people group, zero access in their village, zero access in their community, their town, their city, their state, their province, their nation. Zero access, 42.5%, which translates to 3.23 billion people. Most of them living, you can see this red area, you have India, that's right here in this realm, China, Southeast Asia. Uh, this is a huge part of the world's population right here. And so that's why that number is so massive and high. And then into the Saharan part of Africa, this is called the 1040 window where the majority of unreached people live in our world. Places that are uncomfortable, places that are hard to get to, places that honestly aren't the easiest to be a Christian witness in, most of which are illegal for us to be a Christian 
witness in. Places that are very difficult, yet places filled with people who will spend eternity in heaven or hell, right? They will, heaven or hell. And we have a responsibility. How we live our lives has great implications on ourselves, our families, but also them. How we live, what we decide, what we have purposed in our hearts, as I read at offering time, what we have purposed in our hearts has great implications. How we will live has great implications on those who never hurt children, who go and play soccer on Fridays and Saturdays, just like our kids do. They go play baseball, they go to school, they learn math, they learn social studies. Kids that will go and they'll learn about how great the United States of America is, um, but not about Jesus. We were actually invited a few years ago in November of 2019. We were in Thailand, and we were asked to go into this Muslim school, and we got to teach there for a week. We weren't able to teach about Jesus, but we were asked to teach about the United States of America, and we were able to talk about freedoms that we enjoy and all of these different things and build relationship and, and, and community and Honestly, the end goal was to connect the missionary with relationship to this community that was lost and from uh, far from God. And um, there was great relationships that were built that opened up ongoing ministry after we left. And so we were able to go in and, and, and love on and teach uh, uh, math and English and these things. But we could not teach about Jesus. And these children had never heard of, of Jesus. So kids that live in those areas that they just want to live life and be a child but they don't know Jesus. Adults who go to work every day and desire the same things that we do in life, peace, security, financial prosperity, happiness, but don't know about Jesus, right? Elderly who live life and they have lived life and they've seen a lot of water go under the bridge. Um, they've seen a lot of things come and go. They've faced a lot of challenges in life. They've been on the mountaintops. They've been in the valleys below. They've seen pain and suffering. They've seen uh, awesome rejoicing all without Jesus all without Jesus and all without the hope that heaven affords. Good people, good people around our world, but godless people that will spend eternity in one or two places. And biblically, Jesus says we have responsibility. But not only do we have responsibility, guess what we have? The answer, right? We've got the solution. We've got salvation. We've got Jesus. And so it's not this hopeless thing Right? It's hopeless if we don't rise to the occasion. We have hope, but the question is, are we going to carry hope forward? And we each have a responsibility to pray, to pray for the lost. Acts 26 to 18 says to pray that their eyes open so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. That's what Acts teaches us to pray as the people of God. What is God's heart? So that they may turn from darkness to light. From the power of Satan, the power of darkness, the power of bondage, so that they may receive the forgiveness of sins that only comes from Jesus, the name that is above every other name. This is the Lord's desire. This is the Lord's desire. And we are a part of that solution. We have that responsibility to pray, to give 
to go to be watchmen on the wall. Ezekiel says, but if the watchmen, Christians, us, if we see the sword coming and we do not blow the trumpet so that the people are not warned and the sword comes and takes any one of them, that person is taken away in his iniquity. But his blood I will require at the watchman's hand. That's heavy. So you, son of man, I have made a watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them warning from me. We have responsibility to be watchmen, to issue warning to the world that is on our watch, to those that are in our Jerusalem, to those that are in our Judea, and then to the ends of the earth. From local to global is what you will hear us say at Evangel. We have a responsibility from our backyard to the prison yard to the schoolyard, but then also to the yards that are halfway around the world. Romans 10.1 said, brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. Paul lived a life that it was his heart's desire and prayer that they be saved. We must be motivated. We must have this holy ambition to pray for the lost, to see salvation come to those who are perishing. And prayer is that work that helps us have that, that burden. Romans 15, 20, where I, where I started tonight, Paul says, and thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel. Paul says he makes it his ambition. The proclamation of the gospel was Paul's ambition. Did you get that? The preaching, the proclaiming, the call of the gospel was Paul's ambition. I think if we dig deep and we're honest with ourselves, that for us, that's, that's one of our ambitions as well, right? It, it's one of our ambitions, one among the many. But Paul didn't have plural ambitions. Paul said, I make it my ambition. It was singular. It was singular. Paul was... Focus. There wasn't a plurality described, described here. His ambition was in the singular. He said, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel. What a life, a life that was focused. Paul was willing to be poured out as a drink offering. And that is what happened when we encounter Jesus. And, and we have this imagery of Paul, of this great missionary evangelist that would go into all the world and see signs, wonders, and, and miracles. And Paul is considered one of the greatest missionaries in the history of the church. But guess what? Paul didn't grow up in a missionary church setting. Paul didn't grow up hearing the, the gospel. He grew up in a mindset that he was ready to deliver and kill Christians. But an encounter with Jesus changed everything. He said, I was the chief of sinners when I came to Christ, meaning we can't rule anybody out, which means it doesn't matter your past, it doesn't matter your baggage, it doesn't matter the luggage that you might be carrying in life. If Paul made it his ambition and became one of the greatest, who are we to, to say, nope, you got too much, you got too much junk going on in, in your life, right? You had too much baggage. No, Paul made it his ambition. 
He encountered Jesus and Jesus changed everything, meaning he can use all of us regardless of our family that we were born into, the upbringing we've had, the things we've done right, the things we've done wrong. When you encounter Jesus, Jesus changes everything. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. He makes all things new, including our ambition. Including our ambition, he makes our ambition new. So what is our ambition is the question for tonight. What are, we, what are we living for? What are we living for? When you think of your life's ambitions, your life's dreams, your, your life goals. Like when you, when you fast forward 10 years, 20 years, 40 years. Right, what, what, what are you envisioning for your, for your life, where is the ladder leaning? Where, what, 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 is, what is the goal of life for you? Some of you might need to have some conversation. You might say, Pastor Jordan, I haven't thought of that. You know, I'm just, just here, right? But we're not here just to be here, right? We're here to go there. We're here to have purpose to go there and to take others with us there, right? So what is our am? Ambition? Are you consciously living for the Lord each day and every day using your platform to proclaim the gospel? Ambitions are, are great in life, but all ambition outside of Christ must be laid at the feet of Christ. Our ambition for self cannot compete with our ambition for Jesus. Right? We must decide, but really the kingdom has already decided for us. And we should take up our cross and we should follow him. Paul's ambition was to preach Christ among the unreached. He said, not where Christ has already been named. We are so passionate about the lost encountering Jesus, which is why we invest in missions, right? Which is why everyone in here, I wish I had my faith promise, which is why we encourage, we challenge Everyone in here to invest into missions because we are passionate about seeing stories like Paul who preached this morning. That Dr. David Grant, who this church has supported for decades, decades, shaped and helped mold Pastor Paul's ministry. He would go, David would go to the seminary and would teach as Paul was a student. And every missions dollar that was given 30 years ago, 40 years ago, helped shape the testimonies and the stories that you heard on stage this morning. The children that were brought back to life, the women who were able to receive, because there was a faithful generation in the past who said, hey, I'm going to make a faith promise to pledge towards missionaries that will go to the ends of the earth. I'm going to support them. 30 years later, we have a man who is able to testify that God has blessed them with a church of 35,000 people that is seeing kingdom influence in a nation that is far from God. That's what our missions dollars do when you fast forward 30 years. You see the fruit of the work, the fruit of the sacrifice, the fruit of the faithfulness on a stage in front of you and you're blessed by the ministry and prayed for in the altar because grandma and granddad, they gave. Because sister hires gave 30 years ago because people, they were willing to sacrifice and to give so that we might have a chance, right? So that people in India might have a chance, not where Christ has already been named. We are passionate about the lost encountering Jesus. And while I'm thankful for every life-giving church in Jacksonville, 
We have over 1,400 churches and countless ministries and rescue missions and parachurch organizations and Christian schools and education facilities in our backyard. But globally, for that map, there are states and provinces and communities and nations that have zero, zero gospel influence. It's called access. It's called access. We are here to help give people access through our prayers, through our going, through our giving. So worship team, if you would come to the stage. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. 2013, I shared this a couple of years ago. I don't know last time I've shared this. Um, we were in Indonesia, Maria and I, we had been married for about two months, and we jumped on a plane and had a 19-hour plane ride. Um, <laughs> people say, do you like traveling? No. <laughs> I like being in a destination. I don't like the travel to get there, because <laughs> a 19-hour plane ride is brutal. <laughs> it's brutal. There was a staircase in the plane, and I paced up and down that thing, I don't know how many times, trying to stretch my legs. But we jumped on a plane with a medical team and went to a unreached nation to Indonesia full of Hindus and Muslims and we went to a setting for several of the days where um, the island was 99.9% Muslim. Um, Christian facilities had just been burned down of a missions organization and the missionary was like, that's where we got to go. Like, okay. <laughs> and so we go and uh, even though we were very limited in our approach as to what we could say and what we could do. The Holy Spirit in his infinite wisdom knows. He knows. He knows what to do. Um, even when we might be limited, we might be restricted. He's not. And so through that week, we plant seeds through love. We minister. We have doctors and nurses. And we connect with um, the, uh, the, the community. Um, even one night, uh, we go to the mosque. Uh, and they have this dinner that's for us there and we're sitting there with uh, Islamic clerics and imams all gathered around and um, they pray over the food that we're about to receive and we pray over our food to ourselves. We're there in the month of Ramadan so you couldn't eat during the day uh, or drink. You're supposed to fast all day and uh, during the sun and so we're having to try to be very uh, sensitive to the context that we are we're, we're, we're in. And the end of that week as we sit at that dinner um, they look at the missionary and they ask they said can y'all send medical workers to our community to be here with us because we don't have medical help and we need um, medical help and honestly that was the goal of the clinic was to see if they would ask for people to come and to live among them and so the missionary already got it it's like, absolutely. It's like, yes, that's what we were hoping you would ask. And thank God you asked. And so it says, absolutely. So they send a couple um, there to go and to live in this island, um, this village, this community. Four years ago, this was in 2013 when we did the clinic. Four years ago, uh, I got a text from the missionary that a massive earthquake had completely 
devastated that island. Um, and the village specifically that we were working in was the epicenter. And they sent pictures of just the extreme devastation. And thank God the two that were there in that island had survived. Um, and because we partner in missions, because you are faithful in your generosity, there's an organization that we talked about giving to tonight, Convoy of Hope. You've heard that many times. Um, the missionary with his connections was able to say, hey, so-and-so, the, the ones that were living on this island where this earthquake had taken place to get ready. They were able, this couple that had moved into this community that was completely devastated, were able to lead Convoy of Hope into this community and provide incredible resource to a community that was completely non-Christian. And guess who became the heroes of that community? This missionary couple that was planted on that island. Because Missions Church in Jacksonville, Florida was faithful to say yes, was faithful to say yes and crazy enough to go, provided with funds from a church who some they faithfully given to missions, even though it might be a myth. That's all it is. You give back. Some people that sacrifice, they sow in. They were faithful to invest in, and we were able to launch forth a missions team. And God knew, even though we might be restricted, they're not restricted at all now. Complete access to a community to do to whatever they need to do to help reach that community for Jesus. In 2015, we were in Southeast Asia again, in Myanmar, which today, if you've watched the news, has gone under tremendous national turmoil as a military coup has taken over um, the nation. We were there for 10 days and we were able to go into um, basically a squatter area where 250, 300,000 squatters lived on, a, um, on an island. Um, one of the most, uh, trying to think of how to lovingly say this, but a very, very tough missions trip um, to, to, to be on just from all the natural elements of what we were doing. And we were doing a medical clinic there, and it's a tough time, and huge rains coming in, and um, it was just a tough, tough, tough week. And we were able to plant seed after seed and have conversations and talk to people, and people, uh, we would ask them if, we were allowed to ask them if we could pray for them. And we would pray, and religious leaders of other religions would come through, and um, we would, they would let us pray for, um, pray for them, but the, 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 testimony of this trip was a house that we stayed in, of a lady that was, had a guest house where our team stayed, and uh, this lady, her name was Weiwei. Uh, she had been through a very devastating divorce. A husband had left her, and just a very rough situation, and Weiwei had ended up trying to take her life, and um, God spared her. And every evening, our team would gather around, and we would do devotions. We'd pray, and read the word and share the gospel and just talk and Weiwei would just kind of peer over and, and watch and you would see tears just coming down her face not a believer in Christ but being touched and she asked if we could pray for her she asked if we could pray for her and we prayed and she never that we know of surrendered her life to Christ but seed after seed was planted into her life. You would see her smile and 
and hope that it was brought because the team would, would go forth. And I could tell you of testimony after testimony of, of that trip of a driver that was a Buddhist driver and uh, is now serving the Lord and his family is serving the Lord because of missionaries and the teams that we were able to work with and minister to and, and people that were touched by the power of the gospel because, once again, people, they went. They said yes. They went. They were financed. They were resourced by church like this, like evangel. Um, tonight, what is your ambition? There's a lot of ambitions in life that we can have. A lot of good ambitions. But Paul he had a singular ambition to preach Christ where he had not been named. I'm here to stir you up tonight to refocus on what really matters. And that, my friend, is eternity. Eternity. If you would, stand to your feet. John 12, 24. This truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. When you live a life in which your ambition is to be planted rather than to be buried by the concerns of this world, there's no telling how much fruit you will bear. But it comes with a conscious choice of us making a decision that this life will be planted with one ambition, not buried by all the other ambitions. Father, we thank you for your word. And I pray that your word would move us tonight. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would move us. All I can do is plant seeds. All I can do is water. But you give increase. You give growth. You move us. So God, we give you our hearts tonight. We surrender to you. I want to challenge you. If you need to go to a deeper walk, deeper dedication, a singular ambition, I want you to get out from where you are seated tonight and come down the altars. If you need to pray for the unreached, pray for the lost around our world, um, prayers to work. I want you to get out from where you're seated. I want you to come down to the altars right now. Um, I'm not going to give a hard push, but guys, we can all, we can all do so much more. We can all surrender so much more. And so I want you to sing this in a song of surrender. Lead us in a song of surrender, but I want you to come down to these altars and let's, let's pray together as a family uh, tonight about our world and about the ambitions we carry in life.